I think Jeep really missed a great marketing opportunity by uh, making Christopher Lambert their spokesperson. Christopher Lambert? Oh, yeah. Do you know why? No, clearly. There can be only one. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I am great because it is time for our podcast. <laughs> We're going to do it. It's going to be great. It's gear related, a peek under the hood of the automotive repair industry. And I'm Heather. And I am Ben. And that's just as it should be. Your lovely hosts. Wow. Yes. I don't didn't want to say. <laughs> How amazing I look today. If we do say so ourselves, right? The lovely part, though, I think it gets lost in the podcast translation. Let's just stick to not slurring our words and um, spitting on the microphone. Did you get your girl? That's that's a good idea. And you know, we should probably Mm -hmm. jump right to the topic because we have so much to talk about today. Um, We are covering another origin story. Origin. Jeep. Now, there's a lot of Jeep fans out there. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know how some, some people, like, for instance, they own a Corolla. Not because, <laughs> not because like, the Corolla was their dream car. No, it's just because it, it happens to be it's very reliable. practical and it's good for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jeep owners typically are like, I bought the Jeep. I've always wanted the Jeep, you know. Well, and they got the stickers and they got the stuff and the T-shirts. Absolutely. And the yeah, there's a lot cozies. of swag. For sure. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could do an origin story for Jeep because it's one of my favorite and it's very controversial. Ooh, scandal. So uh, let me ask you a question before we start. Mm-hmm. Do you know who owns Jeep currently? It's not me. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's okay. We could say Stellantis, and no, but, but nobody would still n- nobody would know who, <laughs> what that meant. It's a, it's essentially it's Chrysler. Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds familiar. That's not where they started, though. Okay. We've got to go way back when. And this this is, uh, we're talking the nineteen late 1930s, early 1940s. And you know what was going on. Well, the war, right? Exactly. Okay, so that makes sense. Because, yeah, it was a, uh, well, I'll, yes, the Jeeps <laughs> in the war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, the United States didn't get involved into World War II until much no, later, right. right? But they could see what's going on. The writing was on the wall, and they're 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 trying to meet their needs. Like we're gonna eventually get involved in this. What do we need? Uh, during World War One, a lot of the vehicles in this that were that were used to haul equipment were heavy duty trucks. If they weren't using horses and mules to haul artillery equipment, oh, right. you know, and getting stuck in the mud and exactly. all the bad it was horrible. stuff. Um, and oh, I do want to make mention that. Um, the, I, I've got to give you my source for the this. The vast majority yeah. of the information. Yeah, a lot of the information I got from uh, Patrick R. Foster's book, Jeep, The History of America's Greatest Vehicle. Nice. Um, That's a so pretty yeah, book. I it's say got that. pictures. <laughs> Lots of pictures. So yeah, 
They wanted something smaller for recon. They wanted um, um, for messenger service or command type vehicles, something that could get around quick. So they were trying motorcycles with sidecars. They tried three-wheeled vehicles. They were like, what about the Geo Tracker? Mm. Ooh, not around yet. Plus, it's a I foreign know, car. I know, but it's, <laughs> it's so top-heavy. It takes a corner and just flips over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that's what a lot of these, uh, like when they say three-wheeled vehicles, most of these were trikes, right? Right. Still tight motorcycles. They even took uh, Ford Model Ts, stripped them all down, and you know they did pretty good until they started adding armor and cargo, and then they just they just completely got stuck. They were way too. Oh yeah, heavy. well, and it was it rained over there like a ton, so like is muddy. Yeah, and fields of battle. I mean, you're talking like they completely get destroyed and decimated. Mm-hmm. This is these are very harsh environments. So in 1932, they started testing this car called the Austin. Now, Austin, Wait, in America, yes, in the United okay. States, Austin is a British car company, but there was a uh, an Austin um, American car company. They got licensed to build cars from Austin in Britain, so it's an American car company. Okay, uh, is that they, like Austin Healey? Exactly. Oh. Exactly right. Yay for me! <laughs> they tested this thing. It kind of it performed okay, but it wasn't rugged enough. Okay, so here's what they needed. They needed something rugged enough, uh, and they needed something that could carry weapons, troops, things like this. Right. One of them being a 50 caliber weapon, because these troops, Jeez. they can't carry the 50 cal. It's just too no. heavy, too cumbersome. And you mount it on a truck, and it's, it's, you know, it's a sitting duck, right? I mean, it just trucks can't go very fast. Right, it so. needs something that can be nimble. Exactly. They came up with... Um, Captain Robert G. Howey, he designed this one, a little prototype, called the Belly Flopper. That sounds professional. Well, it's, it's actually, really, there's a picture of it in the book. Picture just the frame of a car, okay. no body, and a guy laying on his belly on the frame in like a little canopy and an engine in the back. And then it had a, like a 50 cal mounted on it. So like, does the dude like drive it on his little belly? Yeah. And he's got a little tiller that he could use the steering. Actually, got- I'm going to just say <laughs> the sight lines cannot be good on so, your belly. <laughs> but it was super low. So it was great for like infiltration. Well, and right. Like people can't taking see Taking the enemy by surprise and things like that. But the problem with this thing is you can't take them long distance. They've got to be carried by a truck. Um, so they, they just weren't completely practical. You're not taking anybody by surprise when you run into like some stuff because you couldn't see it because you're on the ground <laughs> and it's not good for your neck. All right. I'm glad that one didn't, didn't go so well, but very innovative, Let's move you know? Yeah, well, yes, you were thinking outside the box. Right, so, they, so their next, their next step is like, well, why don't we, why don't we try some lightweight trucks instead of these heavy duty trucks? Okay. So they got some lightweight trucks. They converted them to four wheel drive because this was essential. Yes. But four-wheel drive was a fairly new uh, technology that, that they weren't using. Like, nobody was using it in cars. Is four-wheel drive, like, heavier, too? Like, does that add weight to the car? You have to add a complete other axle to the yeah. front like a, a, that has a whole differential in it. Um, and then not to mention the transfer case to transfer the motion to both the rear and the front wheels. Right. So there's more stuff. Okay. Right. And the, the other problem that they had is the, the lightweight trucks, uh, they did pretty good, but they... By the time they uh, modified them, they cost just as much as one of the bigger trucks. Mm. Uh, and were they, they still light, though? Uh, they were lighter than the heavy trucks, but they still sat too high, too. But they're faster, at least. Yeah, a little bit. So we're bit. getting closer. Baby steps. <laughs> exactly. So in 1940, 
the chief of infantry submits his list. Now, this this is this is the kind of thing you, you love to do. Like, all right, here's everything that I want. Give it to me. Ooh, that sounds like like the movie director like for Batman. This is all the stuff that needs to be <laughs> exactly. on the Batmobile. Do it. So it had to be small enough for both reconnaissance uh, and command vehicles. It had to be able to haul men and supplies long distances. It had to be sturdy enough to carry that the, the, the machine gun, cal, the 50 yeah. cal, yep. They specified that it could not be more than 36 inches tall from the wiper cowl. Not the windshield, just the cowl, okay? So where the wiper blade starts. Basically. Thank you. That's the cowl. So three feet up from that. Exactly. Three, three feet from the ground. No, no, no. You said from the wiper cowl. No, no, no. It couldn't be taller than 36 inches from the ground from the ground to up. the so white. So it's ground basically up, not, not it's, okay. Thirty six inches, not including the windshield. Oh gosh! So that's actually that's very wee. Yeah, it's pretty wee. Okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking it was the wheel. I'm like a three foot wheel, like windshield. That seems okay. <laughs> it's kind of big, but okay. Um, it had see, and this is this is the one that really really kind of. Uh, made it almost impossible. It had to weigh between 750 to 1,000 pounds. That is super lightweight for a car. Yeah. Um, they wanted it to be able to cross country just like their heavy-duty cargo trucks. <laughs> it had to have a 50-cal mount, and it had to be able to carry 3,000 rounds of ammo. It had, to, uh, it had to seat at least two people, and it had to be four-wheel drive. And it had to, if you open the glove compartment, a sandwich pops out. Yes, that was also one of the stipulations, <laughs> along with a, a hot cocoa dispenser. I, I will place my order right now for one of these <laughs> as well. Thank you. So they, the chief of infantry submits this to the, um, the quartermaster, which, you know, the, the quartermaster division, right? Yeah, he's uh, the, the, the supply guys, right? Yeah, they're giving exactly. us all the stuff. So they're like, all right, we're going to be in charge of this. So sure, we they got get, this. They get come here, Rick. This is for you. <laughs> I'm gonna deal with uh, toilet paper. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> so they get the Secretary of War to authorize $175,000 for 70 test vehicles, and they wanted them ready in time for the late summer of 1940, uh, the summer maneuvers. Okay. So, th and so this to is start start to practice with them. Okay. Right. So. We're in 1940 already, so we're talking a very, very short time. The first company they go to is, uh, is, um, th is the company they'd already been testing with, which was Austin. But by this time, Austin had gone bankrupt, and Bantam Motors bought them. So they're now, they're now called Bantam, okay? Fair, formerly American Austin. Okay. Tracking? Tracking. All right. They offered to build the 70 vehicles at 2500 bucks each, which meets the $175,000 that the quartermaster wanted. Okay, so we're still on that. Okay. Yeah. Quartermaster says, no, 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 no. We're going to put a bid out and see who can do it cheaper. So oh, they put great. a bid out to 135 different manufacturers. Now what? Th now, there wasn't 135 automotive manufacturers in, in business no. back then. So we're talking coach builders, um, chassis builders, uh, trim everything at, at all these manufacturers anything like gear companies anything automotive related they, they throw it out there 135 say, okay like hey can you do what this? can you do 
How many do you think responded out of 135 for this big contract? Well, it's a big contract, so probably... Just take a guess. 50. The answer is two. What? That's it? <laughs> Come on, Lamos. Uh, and the two companies that responded was Bantam Motors and Willie's Overland. Now, Willie's... Willie's! Willie's, you might recognize of that, course, right? Of course, because that's, that's the Willie, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Why would only two companies respond? Want all this money, yeah. And I the, mean, I like money. I don't know. The reason for this is that they were asking for the impossible. The, the only company that he was even close to being able to build one of these cars was Bantam because they had already had kind of a, a, a test vehicle prototype that they could try to adapt to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, there's no way they could meet that weight spec, let alone with the four-wheel drive and do it all in 49 days. Come on. You can do it. So, we girls can do anything. They should have asked a bunch of female companies. <laughs> Uh, so why would Willie's do this? Now the reason these because two, Willie's crazy. Well, the reason these two companies um, like offered to take the bid, they were desperate. Bantam was about ready to go defunct. Willie's had made a small profit in the late '30s, but now they're they're hurting. So right. So both of these companies, this trying. is their last ditch effort. If okay. they don't get this contract, boom, they're done. done. They're gone. Case closed. So the president of Bantam, his name is Frank Thin. His thinking is, I know what we can do. We can use the parts that we already have. Um, but how, a lot of their employees are gone because they're about to go bankrupt. They don't even have an engineer. So he contacts this uh, well-known freelance um, uh, engineer called Carl Probst from Detroit. And he's like, Ooh. listen, we can get this killer contract. Are you on board? And Carl's like, no. <laughs> uh, no. He's, he's like, you, you can't even pay me unless you get the contract. So if they, if they get the contract gets turned down, he gets paid nothing. He's like, no. Oh, so no, they no, no, have no. to like, like bring them a prototype right. to he's, get the contract. He's got to build this car. Oh, no. They have to test it, and they have to say, you've met all our specs. You can build the proto- You can oh. build the test vehicles. I mean, it's... So it's yeah, there's, it's like the, three stages. Yeah. So in four, they got 49 days um, to build the car, but they got to present their blueprints and specs. That's the first yeah, step. Yeah. And they're going to say, yeah, okay, go ahead, build the prototype. Second step is 49 days. They get the prototype. They test it and they, and they say, yeah, we like it. Okay. Third step is how much does it cost? Yeah, right. I yeah. get it. Yeah. And, and Bantam now doesn't even have Carl the engineer. Right. Not yeah, well. at this point. So, but Carl, he gets a little phone call from the National Defense, uh, somebody from the National Defense Advisory Committee. Well, and let's be honest, you and listen, listen, podcast land, you know, if you are an engineer or you know an engineer, if you put that little seed in their head, their brain can't stop just gnawing on it and working it out and... Even if they don't take it, oh sure, they're thinking about it, and they're like, "Oh, I could." Especially, I when, can solve that problem. Especially when you're designing something with multiple components and applications. Oh yeah, it's a challenge. It's, it's it's like an art form, right? Yeah. Can can it be done? So obviously, he's probably thinking these things. Oh yeah. Um, but he gets a call from the National Defense Advisory Committee, and they're like, 
they appeal to his patriotism because they're saying, hmm. listen, this okay. is the most important project for the entire United right. States for what we're about to do. You, we come need on, you. we need you. Be an American. So he's kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Get in there, Carl. So um, he agrees to do it, and the army gets uh, the army contacts Frank Fenn and says, "Here are the specs." Uh, and they changed a few things. And so, so Fenn calls Probst up. Wait a second. So now they're like, we don't want a sandwich. We want soup. Soup out of the glove box. Soup out of the glove box. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, so he calls him up and he's just, he's, he, he's still, like Carl is, uh, the engineer is still like kind of on the fence about this whole thing. And now he's got new specs. Um, and Fenn is a little frantic. He says to Probst, he calls him, because he's still in Detroit at this point. He hollers into the phone, and this is, quote, We got the formal bids. Somebody made one little change. They raised the minimum horsepower from the Bantams 20 to 40. Yeah, just a little double. You know what this means? Our transmission won't take it. Our axles won't take it. The frame, the, sp- the suspension. We'll have to jack up the horn button so you can design a new car underneath. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I love that quote. Emphasis bends. <laughs> yes. Yes. The color is all it, just in my mind how the phone call actually happened. Oh, my happened. gosh. So Carl Probst is like, all right, calm down. All Simma. right. Let's, I, I'm, I'm coming. So this is. And ju- the music swells. <laughs> and this is July comes. 17th. He has to have the specs, the blueprints, the design in by July 22nd. Meh. That's five days. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> so he drives, he starts heading down to Pennsylvania where this thing is. Wait, now he's got to drive? <laughs> well, that's where Bantam is. <coughs> so he drives down and he hits this place called Spicer. Now, some of you out there, some of you automotive uh, uh, geeks out there like me might recognize that name. That name, name sounds familiar. There, I'm yes. not a geek, though. That's okay. The fact that you recognize the name, that's... That's very good. So they're a manufacturer in Toledo that builds like axles and gears and differentials and things like that. Oh. Um, and he stops in there and they say, look, we've got these axles. They're not going to work. What can you do? And they're like, ah, you know what? We think we've got this one uh, that we, we think you can use to adapt to the four-wheel drive. And it's out of a Studebaker champion. They're like wandering around the warehouse. like Yeah, pretty much. Kicking tires, looking to see. So he's like, great. He continues on to Bantam. He gets there on July 18th. And at 1 p.m. on that day, he starts designing this uh, this new prototype. On the 18th. On the 18th. You've got, and it's 1 p.m., you have three and a half days. <laughs> yeah. to, put do the a co- whole, to do a whole car. <laughs> yeah, put the coffee on. Okay. Um, so they can't use the Bantam engine because it's only 20 horsepower. It needs right. to be that 40. So he finds one from Continental Motors that will, that will do the trick. Uh, and in 18 hours, he completes the whole design. Whoa, see, you can do anything you want. Write that research paper. Clean your house. <laughs> you can do it. Um, however, oh my Lord. when he finishes the thing, that he calculates that the design, the, the car's going to be about 550 pounds overweight. Because, duh. Right, you can't. It's crazy. There's no way they can meet all those specifications and, and meet the weight limit. There's just well, no way. Well, what if you made the axle out of, like, aluminum foil? Light? Ooh, yeah. It's not going to be very <laughs> durable, though. 
Um, this is why I was not Carl. <laughs> he figures it's going to cost about $2,445.51 per car. So they want to take it to uh, this guy they know. He's the re- retired Navy commander, Charles Payne. They fill out all the forms and everything. They take it to him. They're, um, they're on their way to um, Maryland, which is where the proving grounds are, to submit all the paperwork and the specifications. Mm-hmm. Charles Payne looks at it and he says, whoa, 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 you're too heavy. He's like, no, he's like, I know we can't lie about it. And he's like, no, you kind of have to because you turn this in. They see you're overweight. You're done. They're not even going to look at it. They're not even going to let you build it. Like, OK, but we have to turn it in tomorrow. And this is this is like midnight. They can't reproduce the forms. They can't like modify them. They can't like scratch things out. No, they got out. There's no white out yet. all over again. So uh, the pain, he calls a buddy up from uh, that he knows in the Navy. He says, like, hey, get me some new forms. They bring it over to the hotel. The hotel manager gets a stenographer to come in because it's all got to be official, right? So they're doing this all, all through the night. They finally finish early in the morning, and they arrive at, the, um, at Camp Hollabird, which is in Maryland, where they're, the, they're testing everything. They arrive there, 8.30 a.m., just in time to turn all this stuff in. All right. Where's the movie about this? this I is know, crazy. right? <laughs> so they walk into this room, and they've got. Um, so they're they're from Bantam. They've got. They see a rep from Willie's Overland. They see a rep from Ford. Excuse and, me. And one from Crosley Motors. Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. <laughs> Listen, you had your chance. So apparently, Ford and Crosley were only there as observers. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, no. You put your skin in the game or you pull your nose out of it. The only thing I could think of is that Ford is the biggest manufacturer of automobiles in the they're United States. They're probably interested. So in. And the Army is probably kind of like, well, if they can't do it, we've got to get Ford on board for this. right? right Maybe it's a fallback. I don't know. Ford on board. Um, Nicely so done. The, uh, the chief engineer of Willys is Delmar Barney Ruse. Now he Delmar showed, Barney. Delmar Barney Ruse. His mom. Barney's his nickname. Oh, okay. Because you just, that's not. Anyways. <laughs> so he shows up with a time and cost estimate. He's like, yeah, a little piece of paper that says, this, um, this is probably how long it's going to take. So, this is how much it's going to cost. So the other, <laughs> the other guys rewrote a 50-page document, and this guy's got a Post-it note <laughs> yeah. or like the cocktail napkin from his hotel. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Delmar Barney, I love you. Exactly. Um, yeah, he's got no blueprints. He's got no specifications or, or actual formal design. It's fantastic. He's, they're just like, yep, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer. Uh, so... Uh, Willie's actually turns out to have the lower bid too. <laughs> well, of course they wrote it on its cocktail <laughs> <Right>. napkin. <laughs> However, they told him there's no way we do it in 49 days. No way. It's going to take 75. So the army is like, all right, it's going to cost you five bucks a day in late fees for each what? day. It's late. So the army has some cojones. I know, especially considering like they kind of need you to build this thing. Right. Um, so that $5 a day put them over the limit and Bantam now has the low bid. August 5th, 1940, they're awarded the contract. 
So Bantam has the contract. Bantam has the contract. Okay. Well, you know what? For once, that sounds reasonable. Okay. <laughs> so they've got that engine from the Continental. They've got a transmission from Warner Gear. They've got the Spicer axle that was in the Studebaker Champion. Now, they've got 49 days to do this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spicer calls them up and they're like, listen, guys, we cannot for the life of us get this axle adapted to four-wheel drive. And they're like, you, you Spicer, need, you need you to had get, one you, job. You need to get your stuff together and start doing this, right? Oh, my. They're, they're struggling. They're struggling. And finally, um, Bantam makes a phone call and says, we're, we're going to be late on this. Um, but then magically spicer calls up and like we got it we did it and they're like are you sure yeah we got it we figured it out awesome they've got eight days to put this thing together there's twists there's turns i know (laughs) so they finally get this thing they finally get this thing where they know they're going to finish it and they call all their suppliers from like warner from spicer um Mm -hmm. all the people yeah they call the people like listen we're going to have this done the day before it's due for the army to test it you guys can each have one hour to drive it just to check it out to see if you need to, to hope that if you stuff need to fix anything exactly off. yeah so the day before this car's due to be handed over to the army for them to test it you've got all these guys they each get an hour to try to figure if there's work they need to work right. any kinks out um so carl probst <laughs> and the factory manager uh harold christ on the day that it's due they're like well you know we really haven't got a chance to test this let's not trailer it down there let's just drive the 300 miles to camp hollabird it'll be like a road test okay and so they're kind of taking their time and you know testing things out and they don't want donuts in the parking lot the engine is brand new it has to be broken in Mm -hmm. so you can't push it too hard and they're, they're they're starting to wonder like oh crap are we going to make it on time so then they just start driving flat out they're like screw it we have to get there (laughs) <laughs> it this just sounds like a bunch of frat boys like often like super smart people and then the frat boys took over like it's 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 just it's just crazy how many obstacles they have to overcome and in such short time kay. but they make it there september 23rd of 1940 and they hand it over to the army major herbert j laws now this guy he's tested every single vehicle the army has ever had to offer he he basically tells him he's like look i can tell you if this jeep's worth anything in 15 minutes of course wait a second so he's this the steeg right is that the steeg the steeg from the steeg from top gear <laughs> steeg well he's in charge of all the purchasing too so this is this is the guy's gonna he's test guy. it. He's, he's the dude and i should say i it's not called a jeep yet oh yes the prototype yes this is this is actually called um the bantam i think it's the mark one at this point um, so he drives this thing and is just thrilled to pickles. Thrilled to pickles? <laughs> He's, he calls it outstanding. He loves it. He thinks this is going to be the best thing the Army's ever seen. It was the soup. It must have been, yeah. He must, it, it must have been the tomato basil, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Delish. So he calls all his, you know, the guys over and they're looking at it and then somebody says, well, how much does it weigh? Oh, no! <laughs> So Carl Probst, the honest man that he is, he tells them how much it weighs, and they're just silent. There, nobody's saying they're anything. Like, we, it was on the paper. <laughs> so this cavalry general walks over, six foot two, two hundred and fifty pounds. 
He goes over to one end of the vehicle and just picks up half the car. Like the Mentos commercial. Exactly. Sets it back down, and he's like, seems light enough to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and just like that, the go-ahead was given. Build 70 more. Okay. And this is still Bantam. This is still Bantam, yeah. So poor Delmar was just like, man, had I not just written it on a post-it note... Oh, no. He's fine. And I'll oh. tell you why. Oh, okay. This is where the big controversy uh, controversy comes in for the origins of the Jeep. The Mark, the Bantam Mark One. So the Army is really concerned about Bantam. They're a very small manufacturer. And they're like, Can you okay, make let's, say, many more, let's right? say they make the perfect vehicle. Mm-hmm. And we go to war. Are they going to be able to produce the number of vehicles right, that, that we need? That we need? Um, so they decide to open up the bidding again. So now you have all the specs. So now they've made the vehicle. Now it's more who can recreate this on a mass scale? Well, it's Bantam's car. Right. They're the designers. So what the Army does is they go to Willys and they go to Ford. Mm-hmm. And they say, hey, guys. Here's all the specifications. Here's all the plans for Bantam's car. Right. Come take a look at it. You guys can measure it, look at all their designs, all their specs. Have we so- want to know if you can build a better one. Right. That's rude. <laughs> That's rude. Wow. But you know what? I'm just going to say, you and I were both in the military. Are you surprised? No, you know, I'm not surprised, but just consider that. To this day, I mean, we could be talking about a completely different manufacturer if, right. if the army hadn't done this. So <laughs> they end up getting. But I mean, I get it. Like they need something to happen quickly and cheaply and quickly. <laughs> okay, in that case, you open it up to Ford and Willys and say, "Show me, show me what you got. What you got? Not, not show the specs to what we already have. So of somebody, right. Can you somebody else's design. Yeah. Um, anyway. So they're both given contracts. The Ford builds the what they call the Ford Pygmy. Pygmy. Willys builds the Quad, and Bantam builds the Mark II. Now, all three of these are in direct competition with each other, right? Well, it's probably the same thing, yeah, uh, with some improvements here and there. Like, never mind. Go ahead. I, <laughs> no more soup jokes. No more soup jokes. Now, Bantam, you'd think, kind of has the edge here because they've already... They've already had a car that's been right. tested. And they drove it across the desert or whatever, right? Right. So now maybe they just need to make a few more tweaks here and there. Well, uh, which they do when they get the Mark II. Now, the Army just beats the crap out of all three of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, they test it for power, durability, ride, off-road, how fast can it go, what kind how of fuel economy. What is yeah. yeah, everything. The handling. And there's not really... Um, there's not really an upfront winner just yet. They okay. all like they all kind of do better in certain areas. Like the Willys was just better in power. Cuz in 1939, um, actually 37 I think it was, they had an engine and this is why Willys was in so much trouble is cuz their engine was known to be unreliable uh <laughs> Great. And, and it just didn't last um, and so what they did to try to save their company 
is instead of getting a new motor, they completely just took this entire engine apart and was just like, let's make it as the best motor ever. And they did. So ah. they have the most powerful four-cylinder engine in the United, being built in the United States right now. Right now or back then? Back then, at that time. Okay. Um, so yeah, they redesigned their four-cylinder. Uh, Ford was using a four-cylinder from a, a tractor that they built because none of their cars had four cylinders in it. <laughs> so while that engine was slightly more powerful than the Bantam one, it was still couldn't keep up with uh, the Willys Quad. But it's going to plow your field like <laughs> nobody's business. But Bantam had the better fuel economy, better handling, and it was the lightest of the three. So Willys came in at a whopping 25.20. So, so this dude is like the, the, the whoever, the six foot two... 300 pound dude is just trying to lift yeah, everybody's he's, he's car. Not he's like, pick uh -huh. that one. No, no, this one's too heavy. <laughs> uh, the Ford Pygmy came in at 2150, and the Bantam, the lightest of the three, was at 1940. So it's closest to meeting. 600 pounds? Yeah, hot exactly. Hot. So Willie's knows it's in trouble. They've got to dump some weight, and they've got to dump it quick. Um, so, so they put bean bags instead of seats. It, it gets crazy what they do they get so like down to they even said that they took the, the screws and started cutting them in half to to oh. lessen the weight and <laughs> the, the ongoing joke too was i guess that they when they painted it they're like one coat of paint that's it that's it it's all it's getting <laughs> so they did everything in their power to uh so to reduce funny. the weight of this thing like it may not hold together because the screws were only half as long now but hey it's lighter Willys builds 1,555 of their upgraded, downweight, what they're now calling the MA. Wait. So all of these people are building these vehicles? Oh, yeah. So they're building them. Are they being paid? No. Oh, my No, they gosh. still have to earn the contract. <laughs> this is bonkers to make that many of these vehicles and maybe... Oh, okay. Keep well, going. They I'm get, so sorry. They do, they do have a contract for the prototypes, but these are all being tested. They're not. They don't have like a contract to build the vehicle that's the future right, of right, the army I get it. yet, right? Um, so okay, Ford builds thirty five hundred of their what they're calling the GP. It's no longer the the Ford Pygmy. It's now the GP. The GP. Yeah, hmm, that's close to. <laughs> Bantam builds two thousand six hundred and seventy four of their Mark Twos. All of these get extensive testing, um, and it's it's coming down to decision time right so let's get that that guy out here test drives all the the jeeps and stuff not jeeps vehicles and things <laughs> right so after all this is done the first place finisher is the willies okay now that with its lower weight it just outperforms mm -hmm. in almost every area Second, would it comes in is the Bantam. Just as it has better handling, and third is Ford. Aww. So the quartermaster corp, uh, he's like, all right. So we all know that the Willys is the best. So we want to award the contract to Ford, which is the worst. <laughs> and the reason is again is because they're the most reliable as far as delivery of a product. Right. They've they're got concerned that Willys and Bantam is just not going to be able to meet the demand. So the infantry and cavalry, they just protest. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. We want the willies. Right. We so, want willies. So they, they throw it open. They say, all right, Ford, 
Willys, Bantam, how much is it going to cost us for these cars? Ford says we'll do it for $782.59 a vehicle. Ooh. Bantam comes in a little higher, $788.32. And Delmar gets his cocktail napkin out. <laughs> Willys again. $748.74. So he lowballs them. So he, to- he totally lowballed them. So he's basically telling the Army, not only are you going to get the best product, you're going to get it for cheaper. Right. So the quartermaster, he goes, well, I still want Ford, though. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <Stop>. so, <laughs> so then we get the head of the National Defense Committee step in. This guy's name is Bill Knudsen. Now, he's the, he's the former president of General Motors, so he knows his car manufacturing stuff. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty much the only guy you want to talk to when it comes to this. He's like, right. okay. we're doing the willies. Sorry. Okay. So willies gets awarded the contract. And off they go. And off they go. They start building them. And then December 7th, 1941, as you know, Pearl Harbor happens, and we go and into we're the in war. It. So now we need a whole bunch of these Willys MA, except they're not called uh, MAs right uh, anymore. Because during the testing uh, of the Willys MA, they took a reporter for a little ride. Okay. Uh, you know, it is kind of a publicity oh, thing, yeah, right? Absolutely. Get the guy uh, in there. Mm-hmm. This is uh, journalist Catherine Hillier. Oh, a female journalist. Mm-hmm. Even better. The Willys test driver was known as Red Houseman. And she's, she said during the test, she's like, what kind of car is this? What do you call it? Uh, and the, they had been calling it the uh, GP, you know, the uh-huh. folks. GP. They didn't know what to call them. So they were all called GPs, which is that's general. Easier. It's called, a, it's a general purpose vehicle. Okay. But nobody called it the GP. They all put it, just mashed Jeep. it together, called it the Jeep. And so he tells the journalist, it's a Jeep, meaning GP. Mm-hmm. So she goes to print the next day. Capital J E E P. And that's how Jeep got its name. Origins Jeep. Yeah. Sweet. Origins Jeep. Yeah. Sweet. Jeep. It's so hilarious to me that that's how nick that's how nicknames happen. And then you it Hey, that's yours now. Right. Pretty cool. That's a cool. The 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 funny that's part is crazy. The funny part is is how long it took to copyright that. But we'll get into that in part two. I'll save that oh. for I'll save that for part two because the controversy is far from over. Because as you know, Willie's does not make Jeep anymore. Right. Even though people still put the stickers on in homage. Exactly. We'll save. Wow, that, for, that was we'll awesome. We'll save that for part two. That was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man the army so again i want to give credit to our 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 book writer here patrick r foster the book is called jeep the history of america's greatest vehicle it's it's an amazing book if it's, you want to learn more about it's the, insane because the history of we're, jeep, so. yeah he's only a few pages in and there's still a ton more pages to go. I'm trying to condense it down for for, oh, yeah. for you so, guys out like, there. This and it, book I is, failed miserably. We're almost at what forty minutes now. <laughs> I was just gonna say that this book looks amazing. It is very. There's a ton of pictures, and it just seems like it's a vast array of information. Yeah, it. it, it I was truly um, 
for, for uh, of this podcast. It was invaluable. So Love it. So stay tuned for part two. Mm-hmm. We'll have that out here in a couple weeks. Uh, and if you want to hear another origin story for a manufacturer, let us know what you want it to be. Or any other questions, you concerns, to- just we don't want to hear those. <laughs> but you can rate, review, subscribe, check out our websites. Yep, gearrelated.com. You can find me, uh, find us both on Twitter. That's at Auto, S-C-H-O-E-N. And we'd love to hear from you. Have a great week. See you next time. Bye. Gearrelated.com. There can be only one.